When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. What is up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, the Sabres are down to one healthy goalie after Dell CEO Michael Dell was charged with manslaughter on Drake Batherson. Not good right now. So as we are now looking ahead after a 5 nothing ass-whooping by the Ottawa Senators, the Sabres have a lot of question marks in goal, even more so than they did pretty much the entirety of this season. Michael Hauser is now the only healthy or not soon to be suspended goalie on the roster. Assuming that they're not going to have Craig Anderson back in time or Dustin Tokarski or UPL, which it's starting, certainly seeming to be that way, they're probably going to have to sign a goalie of some sort to back up Hauser over these next couple of games. So it's not good. <laughs> There's no, no. Other way about it. It's bad right now. As if like this free fall that we've been on could, couldn't get any worse. It somehow is. And it's all thanks to our good friend, Michael Dell. Yeah. So this season was already going to be a disaster in that because they put such a little effort into the goaltending position, but I couldn't have predicted it would go this poorly just in terms of who's available. Like they started this year with two NHL goalies. Well, one guy they knew Craig Anderson was going to be an NHL two guys, Tokarski and Dow that could fight for that, a prospect in UPL and then traded for another goalie. And none of those guys are available. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Their entire Rochester and Buffalo lineups from opening night, goaltending wise, those four goalies are all gone. Plus the one they traded for unbelievable. Luckily, Michael Hauser is still here and his nine forty eight save percentage at his two starts uh, are here to save the day. Um, UPL who? Yeah, exactly. Because it's not really even clear. It's not clear what's wrong with anyone. Cause this is hockey, but it seems Anderson skating again, but isn't necessarily ready to play. He's not a full participant right. yet in practice. Subban is likely out for the year, it seems like. Is definitely out for the year. Definitely out for the year. And UPL is not skating. Now, on the other hand, the even weirder one to me, and weirder especially because it hasn't, it's barely been mentioned, Dustin Tokarski went on the reserve COVID list 54 days ago, which is coming up on eight weeks most of the time, I mean, by that point, I think they'd switched it in the NHL for the American teams, at least that if you didn't have any symptoms after five days, you could come off at the very most 10 days. He's been on there more than five times as long as that, which tells me he has lingering symptoms, although we haven't really gotten any details about that. I mean, maybe it is his business and he doesn't want to do that, but we were concerned that Risto was on the list for what, like 16 days last year, 15 days before he really started playing again. Mm-hmm. Like this is positive on November 29th, just to put that even in further perspective. Oh, okay. So that's more than 54 days. Then hold on some quick mental math. That is. If he's still on there tomorrow on Thursday, when people are listening to this, it'll be 60 days. Whew. Yeah. That's more than eight weeks. That's eight and a half weeks. That's two months worth. And I mean, yeah. he was skating though, which is the thing that's interesting. I mean, he was skating back in December even, but. He and was... then he wasn't. Right. Yeah. And John Vogel pointed this out because I was not so much confused as I hadn't really thought about it because he was out of the picture with Subban there and UPL actually playing. But 
the fact that uh, he mentioned John Vogel from the athletic mentioned last week, he's, is this COVID? It's not some other injury. It's still effects from COVID. And it's not clear. It's like myocarditis or he just feels bad or like long COVID, which is something that's kind of hard to diagnose. It's not, you know, this is all relatively new in the grand scheme of things. So not good in the goaltending position. And uh, Dell, uh, I think we're probably in agreement. Really bad play. That had an even worse outcome. Um, with Go Ottawa All-Star, Drake Batherson, young fella, going to his first All-Star game, where he was going to be, uh, chasing a Sabre around the net, who's picking up the puck on a forecheck. And Dell really, out of nowhere, just like lays an elbow into him. Like kind of puts some of the weight into him. Not expecting it at all, because you're not allowed to hit goalies, so he's trying to avoid him. And he's also turning at a really high rate of speed, goes into the boards and hurts his ankle, I think. High and now ankle he's at brain. high ankle sprain. So he's out through the all-star break at the very least. So he will not be able to play in his first all-star game. And Brady Kachuk will be replacing him. Dell had a uh, meeting today. So when you're listening to this, you might know what the suspension is by now. He had his hearing or well, he's having his hearing right now, but I'm guessing somewhere in the range from one to five games. So yeah, I think five is the max that he's able to do because it wasn't an in-person hearing. So I think five games is the max in that instance. Yeah. So either way, I mean, it was just a bonehead play, like so unnecessary. And yeah. Dell, I think it made a comment about wanting to give his guy an extra second. You don't do that. Like it, you, it was, you can't touch trash. these guys. It was trash. Like it's yeah. They can't touch you. You shouldn't be like going out of your way to hit them, especially like we've played hockey. you like when you're turning, even if you're a professional athlete, when you're uh, going full speed down the ice and turning behind the net, that's like kind of a dangerous area to get hit. Like the NHL really tried to cut down on guys getting hit from you, like a defenseman coming from the other way, the other mm-hmm. side of that hitting you just because it led to so many bad outcomes that, that turning radius, like it's very steep. There's not very much room to work with and you're chasing someone and someone unexpectedly hitting you throws you off balance. Yeah. It's not going to kill you or anything, but that would obviously lead to a lot of ankle injuries and, frankly, other injuries to your, your shoulders and wrist as well. It's a, it's a very dangerous play to make. So he should be suspended. I guess the question is, we'll find out soon. If he's suspended for one game, do they just try to roll with Hauser for one game? If it's do like an e-bug situation, maybe. And if it's two games, two or more, do they sign someone or are they like, no, we're confident Anderson's back. Do they stick a like 80 or 70% ready Anderson on the bench and only put him in there if Hauser gets hurt? It's so tough. I feel like probably the most likely scenario is that they'll just sign somebody who's in like the, who's like a fringe AHL guy or something like that and, and call him up and have him just back up for Hauser. I, I don't think that they would, especially given Anderson being um, like 72 years old, I don't think that they'd really want to risk having him on the bench being at like 75% if he's not all the way there in the event that, I mean, let's be real here. These goalies just keep going down and who's to say that it, Something couldn't also happen to Hauser too. So I think given how old Anderson is, they probably would not put him on the bench unless he was like absolutely in good enough shape to play. I'm going to look this up right now because I do not know who's playing in Rochester, but I imagine if they sign someone, it'll be one of those two guys. Just they can get him here pretty quick. So while I'm I'm looking at that, I should say that uh, Tuesday night's game, five, nothing loss to the Ottawa senators with no one in attendance. I would, and I mean, literally no one in, in Canada right now. Uh, that was the nadir of the season so far. Really a listless game. Terrible game by Dell. They let Tyler Ennis get a hat trick for his second, third, and fourth goals of the year. Go and they got, shut up by, they got shut up by Matt Murray, who was literally sent to the AHL this year. He was so bad. He was waived with a $7 million contract that has multiple years left on it. Yep. It was, I mean, it was ugly. It was, it was horrible. There was... <laughs> really not much that you could really take away as a positive from that game. And honestly, I don't have a lot of, as I'm sure everybody listening right now, you probably don't want to hear us dissect a five, nothing loss. I mean, it, it sucked. It, it was terrible. I will say one bright spot that came from the game that we had alluded to on our last episode is that Casey Middlestat was back skated 1652 um, for his ice time. So just under 17 minutes there, which was at least good to see. And I'm happy to see that he's back in the lineup now um, to, to date. He's averaging 1543 time on ice per game. He's got one goal in five games played now obviously as we know injuries have affected that number as well um so he really hasn't had much of a chance to kind of get in the groove of things when coming into the season maybe 
second to Rasmus Dahlin. He was probably the most highly anticipated player that we really all wanted to see this year. So I don't know if you have anything further about the goalies, but I would just thought maybe we could talk a little bit about expectations and what we want to see out of middle stat the rest of the way, assuming that he's able to stay healthy. Yeah. Just two things. Yeah. Rochester's goalies are Matt Robson recently undrafted out of the university of Minnesota and Charles Williams undrafted out of Canisius college. Wouldn't that be interesting if they signed him, bring the Canisius the- guy up. Let's do it. Yeah, what the hell? They're going to be terrible anyway. So yeah. the other thing I was going to say is there was a clarifying loss last night. Um, it, it, there's really the worst case scenario if your team is perpetually bad versus your, if you're if you're cheering for a really good team. The worst case scenario, we just saw both of them as Buffalo sports fans in a 48 hour period. One hurts a lot more than the other one, and that's losing a game like the Bills lost on Sunday. What can you say? You'll remember it forever. It hurts. You got to drink for like eight hours after the game. You feel terrible for days. But if you're a Sabres fan, you see this kind of game against some dog shit team like Ottawa. I don't know how many times over the last decade. And there's really nothing that happy to color in around it. So it's it's a good reminder that you want to be in it, like I said on Monday. uh, And you want to be in those games you want to, and you want to be able to beat up bad teams like the bills have been able to do for the last couple of years. So it's a more uh, clarifying experience that, you know what, I'd rather just have the horrific heartbreak surrounded by hope and a lot of fun wins and a lot of uh, cool things like beating the Patriots twice than whatever the Sabres are still doing. And we'll see, maybe next year will be better. I, I know that sounds like the most cliche thing in the world, but I think I wouldn't have said that last maybe next year. Maybe it will be better as we take our time chopping each of our fingers off one by one. Yeah, maybe it's bad luck to have 10 fingers. <laughs> Who knows? It's just torture at this point. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. There, there's really like, I, I don't, like the Bills loss. I could talk about that for hours. Like there, there is so much that you could dive into and dissect there. I will say, even though people were understandably ripping on Sean McDermott's some of his comments from earlier in the week, I don't know if you caught any of Brandon Bean's presser earlier today, but yeah, I, I enjoy Brandon Bean. I like him. I, I like him better than I like McDermott. And I'm, I, I, I walk, I'll put it this way. I walk away listening to Brandon Bean's press conferences feeling better than I do after Sean McDermott's. But I will also say that I think after hearing more of that McDermott clip about the run pass balance in context a little bit, I feel a little bit better about it, but I still don't trust him. See, that's what I mean. I could just like start with like one thing about the bills and then just go into it. Whereas a five, nothing loss to the Sabres. I, I have nothing to say about it, except that, Hey, Tyler Ennis. Yeah. Good to see you're still alive and kicking, man. Like there's, there's no analysis. There's, there's nothing. And I, and I'm, like I said, who at home right now, who among us wants to hear Taylor and I dissect this. So yes, I I completely agree. It's way better to be in it, even if you are experiencing the heartbreak. And I think that's the sad thing about the Sabres is that we're just so far removed from that at this point that we really don't even know what it, feels like you know like I feel like these past couple of years with the bills we've kind of the the feeling has definitely been reminiscent of 05 to 07 I I had tweeted something the other day about how people were making comparisons between like 06 and this year and I just want to say just please stop because I don't think that my heart can be ripped out of my chest even more than it already has but just having that feeling of of that investment you know and not just investment in terms of like watching from the day to day where you know you're you're doing it because you're a fan like we all are you know and anybody who has stopped watching the sabers at any point over the past several years nobody can blame you but you know it's it's the emotional attachment to it and that's just something that sabers fans i feel like we've all just kind of become really numb and jaded to and i'm looking forward to having that back because this is just like this no man's land bullshit. Like this is just, it sucks. Like we're, it's, it's just, it's not fun. It's really, really not. And watching a five, nothing ass kicking by the Ottawa senators, not to say that, you know, this is the senators of old. Like they have some young talent on the team. Don't get me wrong, but they have fucking Matt Murray in net. Like you said before, you know, it, it, there's, there's no Eric Carlson on the other side of this, you know, it, it, Mark Stone is not walking through that door. Right. Exactly. Like shout out Brady Kachuk. He's great. 
Thomas Jabot, also really good. Batherson, as you had mentioned before. But, like, I mean, what do you do, you know? It's just hard. And I, I think that – and I'm going to be wrapping up, but I, I just think back to, you know, in times like this in the beginning of the season and our early episodes in season three where you and I both and as many other Sabres fans have been saying, you know, well, it's a lot harder now, but, you know, we're telling ourselves in the beginning of the season – it's not about wins and losses. It's about development. It's about guys turning things around or taking a next step in their development. And by and large, in some areas, we've seen that. We've seen Darlene look significantly better and like he's finally kind of putting it together a bit and and unlearning a lot of the, the horrible things that Ralph Kruger instilled in him and finding his game a little bit more. You know, we, we've seen Jeff Skinner now being back on a 30-goal pace and not even just like, putting away garbage goals like the guy is is generating offense and he's looking like you know the kind of guy that you don't expect to have a drastic fall off at this point like the guy we're seeing right now is the guy that we traded for is that worth nine million dollars no but with that being said you're still going to get 30 goals out of this guy this year most more likely than not and if that's something that you can have that long-term success you know over the next and not the entirety of the contract, but if he ends up being a, a 25 plus goal scorer over the next like three, four years, that's, that's easy to swallow. You know, you see, I mean, we have Alex Tuck now, so like, that's really great. And we knew the return on the Eichel trade was going to be something that we'd all have to look forward to, even though it may not be, you know, it would never be up to the standard of Eichel, but like we get to see Krebs grow a little bit. We got the young guys doing well when in Quinn and Paterka and, and UPL for a bit there too. Um, but man, like, <laughs> this late January, you know, just losing stretch that we've been on, it is it it shows you that it's it's easier said than done for us to you know five months ago being like we gotta weather the storm like they're not gonna be good we all know it it's gonna be okay though but when you're in the midst of it it's it's just it's fucking hard it's really really difficult and, and boring and boring and that's what I was gonna say is that you can you just feel people losing interest like increasingly like it's really falling off like 2021 you know like the from october or whenever the season yeah october to december even like that time frame from this this past month of january as we're now getting ready to close it out i i personally feel like i'm seeing way less people and i know that obviously the bills have something to do with that too but like I feel like way less people are tuning in. I feel like less people are talking about it online. I, I mean, you know, like just in general, people just aren't as engaged with it right now. And it's, it's hard. It's boring. It's difficult to watch. And it's just like repeatedly punching yourself in the face and being like, oh, but I love this team. And then just continuing to get punched in the face. Like it, it's, it's really tough. It's, it's really hard. And I, I guess I will end this little monologue that I was just doing by saying thank you to everybody who's continuing to listen. You know, we, we still are, are getting good numbers for, for those of you who are tuning in. And I got to tell you, it, it, it means a lot to us to begin with that you're listening to us, like just as a, as a baseline, it means a lot, but the fact that you're, you're still rolling with us and you're still sticking with us through all of the, the ups and lots and lots and lots of lots of downs um it's really cool and it's and it's really appreciative and you know if you guys you know can can hang on you know for a couple more months we promise that things will get better and as sad as it may sound (laughs) once the season's over and we get into like the free agency and draft the show is going to be like way more interesting so it it is what it is at this point but yeah your your thoughts taylor well how do you feel about depression (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> speaking of that let's uh talk about our friends at DraftKings. oh my god so this uh same ad as monday elite segue elite four segue. four teams remain in the nfl playoffs and that means only four teams left for you to bet on at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nfl counting down the super bowl 56 new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. Not a new customer? You can experience the conference championships with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is a safe, secure, and reliable, or is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So what you got to do, you got to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code THPN, 
and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code THPN for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania or New York only. New customers only, $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for detail. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, it's actually not a bad idea for conference championship weekend. Say you want to tune in anyway, but you're sad about the Bills. Well, this gives you a different rooting interest. Maybe you want to bet on the Bengals because you're, you're sick of the Chiefs. Maybe you want to bet on the Chiefs. That way, if they win, you're not sad because you get money. And if the Bengals you know, win, you bought a win. And then the other side, who knows? Bet on whoever. But it gives you rooting interest. And if you lose money, then you'll be sad about something else. And that gives you a, a nice variety of your sadness. That's fair. I actually tried. Uh, well, I think I told my story about how I accidentally put $50 into daily fantasy sports rather than the sport. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I actually today, though, I, I used all of that and did a mix between NFL and NHL stuff. So I have no idea what I'm doing, but maybe it'll work out. Hey, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Things are going well for me in fantasy hockey. So maybe it'll it'll transfer over into the betting world, even though I know that's not how it works at all. <laughs> uh, so. One other thing I wanted to point out, we were going to talk about Casey Middlestad, yeah. but. Before that, do you think it's possible Alex, Alex Tuck is the leading scorer of the Sabres this year at the end of the season? Let me see what the breakdown is right now. He has 10 points in 10 games. Tage leads with 28 points. I think Tage has played almost every game. Interesting. Uh, he hasn't played every game, though, has he? Almost, though. Interesting. I don't know. Yeah, Tuck isn't going to finish the year being a point-per-game guy, probably, but. No, but um, I mean, there's a lot of it's half the seasons left. I mean, we just passed the halfway point last game was was 42 for us. So do I think he's going to catch up, though? Mm, I'm going to say no. And I think with that being said, I would guess. Let me ask you this. Do you think Darlene or Thompson is going to have more points at the end of the year since they're tied for the lead at 28? Mm, let's see. There's about 40 games left. You know what? I don't Darlene think it'll be games in hand on talk two or on Thompson. I mean, excuse me. Yeah. You know what? I think Tuck's not out of the question, but if I had to guess, I would say Darlene one, Thompson two, and then either Tuck or Skinner will finish third. Yeah, I think it'll go Skinner three, Tuck four. Um, How many points does Skinner have? I mean, Skinner has 27, so he's only one behind those two. Yeah, Skinner will probably be third and Tuck fourth. Yeah, that makes sense. Tuck will be up there, though, having only played probably 50 or fewer games for the team. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If he ends up having – he'll assuming he plays out the rest of the games, we're looking at him having – 50 games played altogether. So, I mean, he's, he's playing at a point per game pace right now. I bet he ends up with 44 points. I'll say, which I think is pretty good, but that's the thing though, is that Darlene realistically he'll, he'll break 50. Yeah. That does make sense. He ends up hitting 50 points this year, man. Wow. (laughs) Imagine saying that this time last year like ah things aren't good right now but tage is going to be a 50 point guy next year like you'd get laughed out of the room yeah that's crazy so casey disappointing year because of injury and i don't think he he had a statement last night that he said he didn't feel great or didn't feel that he played well jack can agree no one played well last night so what i would like yeah i don't think they should rush him necessarily now that they do have some a little bit of center depth. I know Mark Jankowski is still playing on that, that uh, unfortunate fourth line they have going on right now, but I would be, maybe he takes on second line minutes. Maybe you ease him into some power play time because the Lord knows the power play could be, uh, it could use a shakeup. Ain't that the and, 
you know, I'd like to see him producing again within the next couple of weeks. He was a pretty productive guy at the end of last year. Yeah, I mean, I think it, a lot of it's going to also come down to what the line combinations end up being. So like last night, for example, he played with he played between Krebs and Bjork. Um, as we had said last time, Anders Bjork is just meaningless and, and does not do anything for this team. I I know Skinner, Tage and Tuck have been buzzing and you probably do have to keep them together, but I can't get away from wanting to see Tuck and Middlestat together just to see how that goes. Um, you know, I, I mean, do you go Krebs, Middlestat, Tuck? I, I would be interested to see that. Maybe then you go like, I mean, Asplund and Tage have played well together. So maybe you try and give him a chance up top, but or at the same time, maybe you go, maybe you go Casey Tuck Skinner, and then you go Tage Krebs and Asplund. I don't know. I, I, I mean, like you had said before, though, you do have a little bit of flexibility with what you can do, but I think a lot of it's just going to come down to putting Middlestad in positions to succeed. And I think Krebs obviously had the little his breakout game a couple of games ago where he put up two goals, which was great to see. But you know, this is not the Peyton Krebs we're seeing now is not the finished product Peyton Krebs that, you know, we ultimately hope to have on the team two years from now, even, even that's maybe even next year, who knows, like maybe he takes a big step next year. So, you know, you have to put him in positions to see. And at the same time, you got to kind of see if Casey is able to pull some guys around a little bit to the extent that he could drive offense on his own. Um, So, I mean, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, but I I do want to see him end up getting playing time with, with talk. I'd be curious to see how that goes. I mean, you're, yeah, that first line is producing, but guess what? You're still losing. Like you just lost five to nothing to the Ottawa senators. So maybe you do mix it up a little bit, you know, see if Krebs um, or excuse me, see if talk, you know, pairing him up with another line that starts to get other guys going too. Um, And even if it, like I said, even if it is something as simple as, as swapping Casey and Tage, just to, just to try it and see, you know, I think it's absolutely something worth checking out. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. But with that being said, you know, there is something to be said about the fact that right now, even though, you know, we have to wait and see how things are going to go with Tage. We have to see how Casey's going to be, um, you know, cousins again, like the, the point production hasn't been there, but he's, he's looking like he's growing as a player. And then you throw into the mix, you know, you're going to have, I'm assuming in the first round this year, at least one of these three picks is going to be a center. Um, you know, you have Krebs also. I don't know if I mentioned him too as one of like the other center options, but like, so there, you know, there's there's hope there, I guess, is what I'm trying to get yeah. at. And, and looking ahead to next year, again, it's just providing yourself more flexibility through the depth that you have on your roster, both through centers and just in general in your top nine. So I know that was kind of a long-winded way of, of kind of getting back to the point here, but for Casey, like I said, I we have we have 40 games left in the season right now. I mean, if this if he's able to put up like 20 points over this 40 game stretch, I think that's probably pretty realistic for him. And I think it's a little bit in line with how he was playing at the end of last year. <laughs> and I think it also coincides with the minutes that he's going to be getting too. I mean, that's really what I'm looking for from him. Be a half a point a game player and show me that what we saw last year wasn't a fluke. Show me that your, your skating and your conditioning really has taken that big of a step. Show me that, you know, because of that, your improved skating and your improved agility, that that's going to continue to develop then some of the other skill parts of your game, whether it's a stick handling, whether it's a shot, which we've talked about plenty of times as, as being sneaky good. So uh, it's really just seeing that growth again. Like it's, I know it's hard everybody with just the constant losing, but it's about putting these guys in positions to succeed next year. Not necessarily. I mean, cause right now, obviously you have to do that, but it's more so building towards what they can eventually be next season. So a guy who will not be around next season. Uh, this struck me when I was looking at the stats today. Do you know how many games John Hayden has played this year? A lot, probably. What, like 25? 34. 34 of the 42? Come on. John Hayden has played 34 games. Do you know how many goals he has? How many? He has zero. Zero. Do you know how many assists he has? Zero. He has two. You know, that's funny because I 
am curious. I haven't looked into what his underlyings are, but he's as like a fourth liner. I haven't necessarily minded him. Like, I feel like when he's out there, he's, he contributes on the four track. Like he's a pretty good skater, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to be handing him like a, a one-way contract next year, but I think if you could keep him around in Rochester, I mean, that's yeah. something I guess, but there's a that's reason why wild, he's playing though. on the Sabres right now. Yeah. He has two points in 386 minutes played. That's, that's I know not he, good. Yeah. I know our, our friend R2 was, you know, still suffering. Uh, he had, more points than that in his 18 games uh, Mark Jankowski who I don't think people particularly think is good uh, has doubled that amount of points in 12 games uh, Will Butcher has five points in 30 games Drake Cadgel has five points in 18 games Brett Murray another guy who is kind of a AHL NHL tweener type guy six points in 19 games I know points isn't everything but this is kind of blowing me away um, and even like someone who is also on the fourth line who's also not played a ton. I'm gonna. He's also played 34 games. Let me see how close the minutes are. He's played more minutes, but same number of games. Zemby Skurgensen has 12 points with seven goals. Wild. Yeah, not good. I mean, that's the thing is like he's a replacement level guy. So it's like I, you know, I I know I could say like, oh, I mean, he. <laughs> I haven't noticed him being particularly atrocious, but again, it's it's a replacement level guy that you're not going to miss it all next year. Like give him yeah. a two-way contract to have him in Rochester for some, some veteran forward depth down there. And for a guy that, you know, could at least come up if you have like major injury issues, but I don't think there's any way that he's playing himself into a roster spot for next season or anything. Like no, that. it would seem not then, huh? Um, Probably I just not. think I've been, you know, critical of Cody Eakin. So I'd like to diversify who I'm, uh, who I'm, you know, being mean to, I guess. <laughs> the Sabres. Yeah, keep it on Eakin. I mean, yeah, they did purposely sign him to multiple millions of dollars multiple years. So that's... Thank God and our they, almost over. Yeah. 40 uh, more maybe, games, everybody. We're almost there. Maybe Hayden's valuable in his own zone. I don't know. I can't say I've paid much attention to John Hayden either. Still, though, that's just... Man, that's like fighter-level stuff. And, like, you know, while, while we're doing this, Roots Line has played... 17 games in the AHL and has 14 points. Wow. I'd like to see him again. Yeah. I don't need too. to see John Hayden. I don't need, I mean, position wise, you have to make this stuff work, but like, do we need Hayden and Jankowski in the lineup? Not particularly. No, no. I mean, Hayden's been sitting recently though, hasn't he? Yeah. Well, I, I should also say though, too, like even though R2 has more points than him while he was up for that, like whatever it was 17 game stint, it was getting really hard to defend him. And I understand that they weren't necessarily putting him in like the best positions to succeed with some of his line mates. And then also to like trying him at center when that clearly was just not working. Yeah. I still would have liked to see him again, like getting a shot with cousins and everything, but he was making it hard to defend him though, because even in the minutes that he was getting, when he had that like second call up after they sent him down the first time, like he really was not looking great, I guess. But with that being said, though, would I rather have him playing on the fourth line than anybody currently on the fourth line? Yes. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I get at because it's like it's like when um, people talk about the Sabers in general last year not having a lot of guys go to defense, so it's like good Eakins out there, or whatever. It's like Eakin also sucks at that. So what is Eakin doing here? So like, yes, I agree. Ritzelainen did not have a good October slash November, it's but not- he. He is a prospect. What, what does he do? What, what did he not do that Bjork does? Like you have all these guys in your lineup. You have Bjork up here. You have Jankowski and Hayden. These guys have played a lot of games and I'm not interested in anything they do in the future. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, I think Bjork is different because you're talking about a guy who was a part of a a return for, you know, an important ish deal. If you want to call it that, I guess. But (laughs) the thing is, is that, you know, with Jankowski, he's, he's not going to be here next year. And uh, I mean, same goes with Hayden. It's with all these guys. It's like, what is the point of this year? Like, obviously, yes, you need to, you need to win in Rochester. I know that that's obviously not the be all end all when it comes to like proper development tracks, but it helps. Um, But at the same time, it's like, you got to give these guys a chance to see what they have. Like Rusalainen showed you at the end of the last of last season that, 
he was probably deserving of a full-time look this year. Even now, given what you have on the roster, like he's deserving of a, of a longer look. Um, I mean, what is he now? 23, right? 24 or something like that. Yeah. So you're getting to this point where it's not, you know, we're not talking about like the, the level of like some of Amherst's past where it was like the Hudson fashings and Baptiste's and Bailey's of the world where we're, you know, they really weren't good enough, but also at the same time, it's like, well, did we really give them a chance to find out if they were like good enough to be like a certain role? I don't know if we're necessarily at that point with him right now, but I understand anybody who's frustrated about it. I mean, I definitely am to an extent too. So I, I agree for sure. Yeah. Well, anyway, so uh, let's talk about a third sport in this podcast. Uh, the, the baseball hall of fame or the baseball writers association of America announced its hall of fame vote yesterday. And one of your good friends, David Ortiz uh, got in the hall of fame. Yeah. One of my good friends. Yeah. So I had some thoughts on the voting. So if you're not a baseball person, Dude, what you have any yeah. thoughts on hall of fame voting? Yeah. Every goddamn year. I can't get over this. Should <laughs> I like, like take a nap for a half hour right now but while you go in or <laughs> no, I want you to, like, to cracking his knuckles over yep. here. Here just, we go. All right, here we go. Oh, I thought this writer from Milwaukee thought he was slick. Let me tell you something. <laughs> My hockey podcast is coming after you. So I used to just get raging mad about it, especially it was, 10 years ago, basically the first time around on this. So not quite, it was nine years ago, I guess. So it was, this is the 10th year of the bonds, Clemens Sosa era and chilling. Well, those guys are tired the same year and it's, uh, well, <laughs> you know, none of those guys got in and I guess for different reasons, but what's interesting, I think is there's, there's levels with the steroids guys. So McGuire was never really considered. And I think part of that was, it, there was definitely an older guard because he retired in 2001. So he got on there in 06 and was off by like 15. So he was never, I don't think he really had a chance. And then there's all the other things with McGuire, like even advanced stats guys would tell you like his career isn't totally a hall of fame career, but it kind of is like, he has a ton of home runs, obviously nothing defender, nothing base runner only had like 1600 hits, but he walked a lot. He had a lot of home runs. Maybe that alone, along with how important he was with that home run race, what important moment in baseball history that is, or a memorable one at least. So blah, blah, blah. He wasn't going to get in. Sosa, another guy that's like, he's not one of the best players ever, but he had a ton of home runs and he was there for the home run race. So those guys, Sosa never really got as much consideration as Bonds and Clemens. Now, Bonds and Clemens retired. Well, they didn't retire. They played most of their careers before there was testing for steroids. They were only there for a couple of years while there was testing, but they didn't test positive. And it was the end of their respective careers. Still, they were very good in the testing era, which is, I think is kind of an important distinction. They were both in their early forties um, playing extremely well while they're steroid testing, whatever though. So they, they obviously, it seems neither of them admitted, I believe to using steroids, but it seems pretty likely that they did. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence, not that it would ever be proven in court, but they people have tried no, we and, know uh, we know yeah we know they probably did it like come on man look at roger clemens looked like i don't even know what he looked like that guy was enormous and barry Dude. bonds head grew during his career he his head grew multiple hat sizes and bonds turned into a different person yeah my man turned into the michelin man like halfway through his career roger clemens looked like the world's angriest gym teacher for he the looked, last 10 yeah, years of his he, career yeah Roger Clemens pretty much looked like if like the Pillsbury Doughboy like grew up and had a drinking problem. Yeah, so there's there's that as well. But they got closer and closer throughout the years. And the, the year they both made the big jump is after Bud Seeley got elected to the Hall of Fame. And the thought was there then like he was a commissioner. He turned a blind eye for multiple years. It took forever to, for them to crack down on steroids. It was very convenient for baseball that there was a uh, home run chases. There was a lot of interesting players, a lot of guys extending their careers. It worked out well for them. So they didn't, I don't think wanted, wanted to uh, admit that all these guys specifically McGuire and uh, Sosa were juicers by 07. It was clear, but at the time these guys were retiring, whatever. So bonds and clubs are virtually tied on the ballot. You need 75%. They both got roughly 66. I don't know how they ended up with the same number. 
I don't know who's voting for one and not the other, but whatever. Because if you're going to say off the field stuff besides steroids, they both have it and it's both bad. Now, on the other hand, you have guys like Manny Ramirez and A-Rod. A-Rod is basically about at the level of, not quite Bonds and Clemens level, I guess I should say. He's a step below them, but he's not just a Hall of Famer. He's an all-time great. One of the 20 best hitters ever. But he got not just caught, you know, before testing. He got caught while there was testing. And he admitted to it. He admitted before and after. And then, you know, there's the other things. He wasn't a particularly beloved teammate some of the time. But he got caught in an era where it was clear that it was illegal. So there's a huge group of people that have a distinction there. Now, there's another, another interesting thing, I think, where the first couple of years of Hall of Fame voting, it's post-steroid era, guys like Mike Piazza and what am I thinking of? The guy from Houston. Oh, Jeff Bagwell. They both didn't get in, and there was huge steroid suspicions for both. Uh, people were like, oh, Piazza had back knee in his 30s. That's weird. He probably was on steroids. And maybe they both were. They were both big guys in the steroid era, and they both, you know, hit a lot of home runs and stayed good into their mid thirties. Uh, but that's not really fair. Cause they were never even connected. So eventually they get in someone you might know of uh, by the name of Pudge Rodriguez was directly uh, not accused of, of basically Jose Canseco said, yeah, I did steroids with Pudge Rodriguez. He got in in his first year barely, but he got in in his first year on the ballot. That's, that's something. So there's, there's different levels of how certain you are and when people did it. Or and or that's what I was going to get to. Ortiz oh, okay, is in bad. on the first ballot. <laughs> Ortiz is 77.9% of the vote. He was connected. Uh, there's a New York Times report with his leak uh, from 2003 when they're supposed to be these anonymous tests. A-Rod also tested positive for this. But there's no punishment because it was before there was established testing. It was like, we're going to do this test to see what percentage of baseball players test positive for steroids like half <laughs> a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think Manny was also caught then, but Manny was caught again in like 2009, 10-ish, yeah. whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, so that, that one's kind of a mess. You're not really sure if those are positive tests with Ortiz, but it's suspicion. It's what a lot of guys have dealt with. And frankly, what we have is just different levels of suspicion. Not for A-Rod, obviously. He, he did do uh, PEDs because he's admitted to it. Bonds and Clemens are varying levels of suspicion. I should say that Barry Bonds literally won in court on this. I know that it doesn't have to have the same standard. If you're a Hall voter, you can just be like, I know he did it. But I think that's interesting because he Ortiz is 11, 12 percent ahead of them. There's a lot of voters that voted for Ortiz and not those guys. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's just it's really weird when you get into this stuff, because I think I read a lot of the articles of like, here's who I'm voting for. Here's why I read them every year. They're interesting because, you know, I think there's a lot of borderline guys in the ballot right now. But when it comes down to the A-Rod one, A-Rod ended up with like 33% of the vote. Manny's at 28. They are never getting in. They're probably never even getting close to where Bonds and Clements are. And there seems to be this big distinction uh, of getting caught after testing was established. And I think that's interesting because I think that makes sense to people that are the writers because they think about it in a very simplistic way. Like, okay, yes, these guys cheated. They were already Hall of Famers. Bonds and Clements I'm talking about. But it was before there was testing, the league didn't care, and the guy who was turning a blind eye is in the Hall of Fame, they're in. But this guy used PEDs and got caught. So, yeah, there's a distinction there to me. But why is that distinction you can't be in the Hall of Fame? Mm-hmm. I completely- well, there's never a why. I would like an explanation. They say the character clause. That makes no goddamn sense. That's not, that's not an explanation. Somebody put this very well and in, in really simply put. How are you going to not have like the best statistical player of your sport in the hall of fame? Oh yeah. Like taking all that other stuff. I know that it obviously weighs into the equation, whatever, but like bond statistically is far and away, like on another level with his production. And yeah, I mean, he did, but like, he, he, of course, I mean, like I said, I'm not, I know you're saying like allegedly for that. Like, I think we all, you know, can, he like did it allegedly major winks. It's insane to me that you're not going to have him in the hall when you already have guys who are in there, who we know for a fact did this like, Oh, well they got caught though. So they can't be in. Come on. 
And I think your point about ceiling too is very damning. Like, it, it, you know, and I think that I'll get into that after with like a bigger issue with this. Like the, if he didn't find it to be that big of an issue, as big of an issue while the guy was commissioner, like, come on, I, it, it's insane to me then that you're going to have this double standard where, you know, some of these guys can get in, but some can't. And, you know, it's just because they got caught. I mean, it's ridiculous. And I think that this also just speaks to a, a bigger problem with baseball that these old heads are so concerned about preserving the sanctity of the game or whatever the fuck they say these days about it. It, or like the traditions and everything like that. And it's honestly, it's just that it's why people's interest in baseball is continuing to wane. Like not as many people are into baseball now as they were like 10, 15 years ago. I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's backed up by both attendance as well as their TV numbers. Uh, I don't know if you know that off the top of your head, Tay. Or oh, not, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so like, the, the last two world series are the two late, lowest rated ones on record. Right. And, National TV, um, Sunday Night Baseball is completely plummeted, uh, and MLB Network viewership is plummeted. There is no longer baseball tonight, and attendance is, I believe, uh, down overall uh, over the past few years. Right. So to me, it's like, should those guys have done steroids, or or was it a a problem that they did? I mean, whatever. Yeah, if you want to say that it was, that's fine. But, like, adapt or die. Like, you you can't keep – going on with this about the the traditions of the game like there's a way that you can maintain the the traditions and the integrity of the game while still trying to inject new life and new interest into the game that you didn't have before and it seems like the MLB more than shockingly more than any other league I mean the NBA is different because that is definitely a bit more they're a bit more forward thinking but like comparatively with like Roger Goodell and and Gary Bettman, like those aren't two guys that I'm thinking of as being like forward thinking dudes when it comes to leading their sport. And somehow I know that this obviously is not necessarily directly correlating with Robert Manfred, but like having the worst commissioner in all of sports too, does not help your, your case for increasing interest. And so bringing it back to the hall of fame discussion, to me, it's like, we're talking about like, marquee huge household names thing like it would get people talking about the sport more if you changed course on this i mean even like dude even the fact that pete rose isn't in the hall of fame is the most absurd thing yes but ever. that's not the the baseball writers the never had a chance though with him or shoeless joe yeah but can't they, you they never allowed to consider him right but can't that course still be reversed though like it's not like does that have to be an indefinite thing so the, i think the mlb would be the one to make that decision like the commissioner would have because the commissioner is the one who banned them so i think the mlb would have to uh be the one to like probably rob manford to reverse course and frankly they're probably waiting till he dies honestly well, and that's my point though is that yeah. like you can do this like all of this stuff these are just rules like these are just the like these you know whether it's but, written down or yeah. unspoken things that people just like abide by when it comes to baseball you know like you could change this like yeah you can make it like a precedent that like yeah okay a-rod did steroids but are you really going to try and deny the fact that that dude is one of the best baseball players of all time barry bonds roger clemens like all these guys did rafael palmero get in by the way is he in the hall of fame no he fell off the ballot right and i mean and that's even another guy too i don't know if he had his other issues too but like that's another guy that was like a dominant player yeah. The, well, Pal- Palmero Palmero falls into the same thing with Sosa McGuire, I think, where it's like right. he was a guy who hit a lot. Well, even less than them. He had a lot of home runs. And yeah, got a lot of RBIs in an era where a lot of guys did that. And also a lot of guys uh, extended their careers like he did. So he doesn't really stand out in that way. And but then he doesn't 3000 hits. He does. I mean, if I mean, yeah, that's he's like automatic, like that's I don't know. That, that I mean, before the steroid area, yeah, that was pretty automatic. 500 home runs, 300, 3,000 hits. So that's the thing. I think he loses some younger guys because I think Palmero, Sosa, McGuire are all in some ways more borderline cases than traditional baseball guys would say. If there's never steroids, those guys are in 100%. Mm-hmm. But then they lose the old guys because of steroids. And they, I think our young guys or younger guys are split on them. And Palmero just has no, he doesn't have that space in the, the all-time home run chase either i don't think he ever led either league in home runs he was on kind of okay rangers teams it just like 
I think he just has no constituency that is really well, interesting. Right, but like, is he, he doesn't have Canadians of... like um, Tim Raines had. Right, but like from a just like a statistical standpoint, do you think that he belongs in the Hall of Fame? Borderline, but yes. That's kind of where, I mean, he's not obviously at the level of like A-Rod, obviously, but I'm just thinking of guys who are like in the steroid drama that are not in because of that and stuff. Like, uh, I think he probably I think it's has, just, I think we've mentioned all of them now. Well, no, I know that, but I'm saying like, do you feel as though like Palmero has more of a case than like McGuire or Sosa does? No, because I do think you can add some points for the fact that they were both so with the home run chase, I guess, really, you had points for that. And frankly, they both have more home runs than them. Yeah. But that's I mean, like one year though. Yeah. But that's a, that's a, like an important moment. I, I know I talked about this on Twitter today. It's a moment. It does, I, I don't yeah. think it, uh, well, I'll get to that in a second, actually. But um, I think, I think he, if I had to look, I remember him having, they, they all have like roughly similar cases. So I would, I guess, yeah, I would have them all in, but, I don't think any of them are really slam dunks in the way that right. the other guys. I want to are. be clear. Also, I'm not a Rafael Palmero truther. I really don't care that much, to be honest about about. I him. honestly forget about him all the. He has like 560 home runs. It's yeah. insane. It's yeah. not. Someday but, people are going to be like, "It's wild." He's not it, but like he's he's a compiler, uh, which whatever compilers always get in. Craig mm-hmm. Biggio got in because he got 3,000 hits. He's only right. kind of a Hall of Famer, right? Um, but yeah. So the other thing I was going to say, uh, when you look at some of these guys. So I'm going to say specifically Bonds, Clemens, and the guys that played before. So leaving out A-Rod, Manny, and anyone who comes after who tests positive, like Robinson Cano. Uh, all of those guys, they, like I said, it was before testing was established and before punishments were established. I know there was, it wasn't like exactly accepted that guys were doing steroids. It's against, it was against the law, so that's something. Um, but when you talk about that as cheating, yeah, I think that's interesting. Whatever. Because Willie Mays and Hank Aaron did greenies, which are basically amphetamines guys that amphetamines were not a people. You should just leave a bowl out of them in the locker room. Cause you know, you're traveling, traveling was not easy back then. Like guys are tired. They're playing 162 games a year. There's not any kind of nutritional uh, type things. Like now guys are having steak for dinner. You probably felt like shit all the time. Like basically you're just constantly on the road and a lot of the times before this is probably that's probably too late for barnstorming but still like march to october you're on the road so like yeah those guys are doing amphetamines in the locker room and no one cared that was not there's never a thing like oh my god we got to stop this and amphetamines are obviously a lot less effective than steroids and the peds that have come around in the last 25 30 years we know that the steroids are obviously effective we can look at how the numbers changed in that era how guys bodies changed but Willie Mays and Hank Aaron didn't do amphetamines instead of steroids because they were less effective. They did them because they were there. It was what was available. Yes, that was what they had. And obviously working out like lifting weights was not a big thing in baseball until the late 80s, early 90s. Like that was, it was really not a thing. That's why look at any World Series game from the 80s. None of those guys are jacked pretty much. I mean, very few at least. Mm -hmm. So back way back in the day, there's a story about Babe Ruth eating monkey testicles, believing it was a performance enhancer. There's right. all these weird stories of what guys used to do to try to enhance their performance. They just didn't have access to good, <laughs> good ways to do that. Like steroids. I mean, steroids is there. Obviously that's dangerous. It's not something you should do or artificial testosterone. Like people have done recently, all that stuff's not good for you, but it works. That stuff way less effective. I'm sure amphetamines had some kind of effect. Is the jury still out on monkey balls? What's the, what's the deal there? I think he got sick. That guy was always, <laughs> that dude was in the hospital every year, pretty much. I can't believe he was, what he wasn't, he was like the best player. He I was, was like, say. like, he's like Jair Bolsonaro, the president of Brazil, who goes to the hospital every month, except like, he's also like a 31 year old who was the best athlete in the world. <laughs> who was also a morbidly obese alcoholic. What a yeah. world to live in back then. Unbelievable. So I think, so basically I think you're, you're, like that's kind of a flimsy argument too at that point. So I think that's why you got to let all those guys in. Now, after, like I said, there's a distinction, A-Rod, Manny, Robinson Cano, other guys, maybe, I don't know, Bartolo Colon. These guys knowingly broke the rules. Now, two things I have a problem with this. This, along with all the other things I mentioned, are not cheating at baseball. They're indirectly cheating. They're cheating while preparing for baseball. Right. People treat steroids like they're like magic, be good at baseball juice. They were not. They're magic, 
be uh, less tired after working out and being able to work out and have more effective workout juice that mm-hmm. happens to go in your butt. So Yum. it's different. First of all, you still have to put the work in. It doesn't make anything easier. It allows you to work more and work harder at working out, not at baseball. Yes, it's an advantage, 100%. Just like working out versus, you know, lifting weights versus not lifting weights for a lot of baseball players is an advantage. Right. Why but do you think like, like fat though? Yes. Which Sosa also did, which I guess is another mark against Sosa I hadn't thought yeah. about. Um, but there's directly people have cheated at baseball for a long time and they're beloved spitballers, Gaylord Perry, all these guys that could just, these pitchers that could just try to doctor the ball. Today. Do, wait, it's still happening today. Year. Yeah, right. Garrett Cole of our beloved Yankees was using, like one of many pitchers that was using spider tack to make the ball spin faster and make it harder to hit. Or when you do hit it, it turns into a grounder or whatever. Like that's cheating directly at baseball. I know they had to make that another rule, but like it was already illegal to doctor the ball in baseball and all these guys are doing it. They had to specifically mention spider tack. And then you have a whole other thing that just happened, sign stealing scandals, which, mm-hmm. okay, is th- these, these are the tough ones, I think. Is Jose Altuve eligible for the L Hall of Fame now? Is Jose Altuve going to get in? Because he might have cheated at baseball. Carlos Correa going to get in? I mean, if he ends up being that kind of player at the end By of the By that career. logic, they shouldn't. What about Justin Verlander? He was on the team. He benefited from it. True. I mean, he's not, he's not hitting the ball, so maybe that's not fair to lump him in. But what about the Red Sox now? What about Mookie Betts? I don't think anyone else in their team off the top of my head is really a Hall of Fame type guy. And he's Mookie Betts is gone now. But Alex Corey had to leave for a year. It wasn't for no reason. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I hate to say this, but people do say that Carlos Beltran is the one who brought it to Houston. Carlos Beltran played in New York before that. Carlos Beltran, I believe, was a well, he was yeah, a Mets manager true. basically for no time at all. Was he also a Red Sox at all? I don't know. Anyway. Beltran was involved. Beltran's eligible in three years, or not three years, next, next year. year. Yeah, and Beltran's eligible next we'll year. In. Like this shit it seems really stupid when you start to think about with the big reason, the big thing A-Rod uh, is going to be out for. It's not the New York Times thing from way back in the day. It's the – it's the uh, he wasn't even involved in the New York Times one. He, that was the, uh, the Sports Illustrated League, which was correct. He admitted to it. It was the, uh, the thing down in uh, Florida – which I'm, I'm forgetting what it was called now in 2013 that a bunch of players got banged up for. They were all stars, but not Hall of Famers, even Bartolo, I think. Um, it was basically like getting treatments down there that involved artificial testosterone, which is illegal. He didn't what's test positive for B? anything. What, what's the name? What was it called? Um, I forgot what it was called, too. Something with a B, isn't it? Um, Biogenesis? And maybe something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. uh, you keep talking. I'm going to look it up. Yeah. So, like, how different is that than, like, like Jose Altuve probably wearing a buzzer under his jersey and not letting anyone rip off his jersey after he sent the Astros to the World Series. He didn't get caught, but like, come on, the Astros didn't clean house for no reason. Carlos Correa, same shit. I know everyone says Altuve didn't do it. I'm not five years old. I wasn't born yesterday. Go to hell. But there are people that did do it. I mean, Bregman, Correa, these are all guys that are implicated. And they could both be Hall of Famers someday, maybe, if they keep being good. Mookie Betts was on a team that was implicated. Garrett Cole, who I love was openly cheating last year and was not even good at lying about it. Like, so what are we doing when we're talking about cheating? That's way more cheating than using, than someone who's getting older, trying to use, uh, I like methods that I don't think should be uh, illegal or methods that shouldn't be legal. So I'm saying, I agree with the rule. A-Rod should have got suspended for 50 games like everyone else. Not going to get into that. How do we get you on the pro baseball writers association of America? You got any brass knuckles, pal? (laughs) All right. And like the other thing I was going to say, that's right. To your point earlier about popular baseball's declining popularity and stuff. Another thing that I think people kind of forget when they talk about this is the baseball hall of fame, the baseball writers association, America and major league baseball are three separate entities basically. And it's like the baseball hall of fame exists and has rules for the voting, but they don't do the voting. The writers do that. And the baseball MLB just kind of is like, cool, that's our Hall of Fame that uh, our players got the official one we recognize, but they don't run it. So, like, there was a rule basically, guys run the ballot for 15 years, as long as they didn't get their um, fall, fall off the ballot with less than 5% of the vote. They shortened that to 10. They shortened that because they didn't want people arguing about Bonds and Clemens every year. Although, next year, people are just aren't even going to argue because A Rod and Manny aren't moving. And I don't, I mean, Beltran might get in and Roland might get in. We'll see. I don't know. I think that's, that's something to keep in mind. The other thing is 
was speaking about this earlier today. The home run chase, I think, like I, I think, so similar should be in because of it, and it's huge. Like, is it? It was a monumental moment. I know that. I'm well aware of it. I watched the documentary last year. I really disagree when people think it brought baseball back, quote unquote, or revived baseball. I don't think that at all. I think it gave baseball an incredible moment that lasted a few months, and that's the kind of moment that's it's the kind of bump that sports don't usually get uh, at this in this uh, in these times. So. It, it is what it is. It seemed really cool to live through. I was five, so I don't really remember it. I remember the F, I remember the next year, they both had more than 60 home runs again, which is crazy. People are less excited, though. Yeah, it's just a weird thing. Like, I, I as some people pointed out to me on Twitter, uh, attendance did go up after the home run chase, and this was after the strike in 94. But, like, this, this kills me. This, just this. I know the World Series ratings aren't everything. The 1995 World Series was more watched than the 1993 World Series before the strike. You would never expect that based on people talk about it. And even like, I would expect, you know, when people talk about it, like, oh, maybe it's, you know, it's not just that. It's just that from 96 through 2000, the Yankees are in four or five World Series. And then spending after that, they're in six of eight World Series to 2001 and 2003. Maybe ratings were good because of that. But 98 ratings are terrible. They were their lowest ratings on record. And that was after the home run chase. Tough matchup because it's the Yankees versus the Padres. Everyone knew how that was going to go. But like, a couple years later, it was the Yankees versus the Mets. Subway series. Didn't have good ratings. And since, I mean, the other, the last thing I say about this, because people usually use this as like, a hey, steroids are good for baseball. I don't know. Because when the, the strike might have lost people, I don't know, I was a baby when the strike ended, or I was a little kid. When steroids happened, people were way more disillusioned. I shouldn't say way more, because I don't know. People were very disillusioned with baseball. And it also happened to coincide with some boring World Series. Even the Red Sox Rockies, that didn't really have the national appeal you would think. It was a sweep and it involved the Rockies, but like it was the Red Sox, not the Rockies, excuse me, the Red Sox Cardinals in 04. It was a sweep, but it was the Red Sox and the Cardinals. The Cardinals hadn't won a World Series since the 80s. The Red Sox hadn't won in 80-something years. You'd think it had better ratings. 07, terrible ratings. 05 and 06, boring matchups, but bad ratings. 08 had terrible ratings, another boring matchup. You know, it was an over in like five games and like, yeah, oh, nine is Philly and New York. That's better. But like the World Series never really recovered. It had a couple big blips like 2016 was big. The game sevens get ratings generally. Uh, but these last two years have been an absolute disaster for ratings. Like I said, the two lowest on record. And it feels like the home run chase to me, if you start to look at it in the grand scheme of things, seems like a very nice little blip, uh, a little uptick made a major decline in popularity from the mid 80s to now you know there's a billion reasons for that more shit to do people like other sports uh base people don't like baseball as much as they used to because it's slower the internet you can do those things it's a regionalized sport people don't care about it nationally people care more about off seasons and other sports than they ever did so people talk about the nfl and nba all the time people can't get enough of nhl draft coverage that's why they listen to us yeah so like there's a billion reasons for it, but like I just really do not buy it all the home run chase revived anything. Mm. So that's my many, many thoughts on the baseball hall of fame. Well done. Yeah. I just really think it's like you said, it's really just it's stupid. Like it's annoying. I I all already think because there's the error committees too. So when guys are off the ballot, the error committees can decide to put people in right that sometimes that works it's going to have to work for bonds clemens and these other guys and it's a good idea in general but they overdo it i mean like they put harold baines in i think that's almost as bad as leaving these guys out because harold baines was put in because like three people in the committee he'd either played with or for they were close personal friends of his so now this guy who's an okay player is in the mlb hall of fame and it's not even just like while these great steroid guys are lingering. It's like while Scott Rowland needs to get take all the years years to get in, or while like Todd Helton or Larry Walker had to wait for the last year in his ballot. Jim Rice waited 15 years to get in. So like it was, I heard it described. This is the last thing I'll say. I heard it described in Defector today as letting your friends in and keeping your enemies out. It's not just the writers; it's the era committees too. That's a combination you're coming at with those two things, era committees. Put your friends in, writers, keep your enemies out. 
it's a problem and it is still the best system in any of the four major sports hall of fames good way to end that wow <laughs> yeah i'm coming around on the nfl but they've made they're making it tough on me yeah no i feel that well do you have any other thoughts that you'd like to share before we wrap up today um my hmm that's an interesting one my former sabers player of the week is scott wilson uh who i will uh is in in uh i guess an homage to scott Rowland, who i didn't really mention there which should be in the hall of fame okay um my former sabers player is dave anderchuk in honor of David Ortiz inexplicably getting in while these other guys aren't getting in. <laughs> Poor All Scott right. Rowland, man. What the hell? Scott Rowland. All right, everybody. Well, hey, this has been another episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you are checking out both of the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites, whatever streaming platform you're using to check out some of the other great shows that they're both putting out, along with on social media as well, so you can keep up with the day-to-day for both the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're following us on social media as well, Straight Up Sabres, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On Twitter, it's at Straight Sabres. There, you can also find mine and Taylor's personal handles and make sure you you are using promo code THPN at at checkout for DraftKings. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday. This has been Straight Up Sabres. 